You're listening to The Local Bar Podcast with your host, Chad Alexander. Wait a little while, hey minute, wait a little while and see. I see my father coming way across the sea Father, did you bring me silver? Father, did you bring some gold? Oh, did you bring me, dear father To keep me from the gallows pole? I didn't bring no silver, I didn't bring no gold, I've come to see you hanging from the gallows pole. From beautiful downtown Columbia, South Carolina, located right in the heart of Rosewood, this is The Local Bar. I'm your host, Chad Alexander. And of all the places you could have been for the past five years, you've decided to spend time with us, and for that, for that, I am incredibly grateful. Uh, this is the last episode of the local bar. Um, and just go ahead and get to the punch. No, no, no need to to keep any spoilers hanging out there. I um, I, I want to be as transparent with you as I should be today. Uh, but th- there's uh, a couple of important things that I feel like I I need to say. So I I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate you being here for so much of the past five years. You know, it, it's funny when um when this when I made this decision, one of the things that I did is I, I, I stood at my computer and went back and looked at every name, every name of any person that's been on the show. And it's amazing how many of them I've forgotten. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. We've done, we've done so many, we've had so many uh, incredible shows and, 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 and I'm, I'm always asked, Chad, what was your favorite show you've done? That's a really hard question. Uh, I'll go through phases of certain ones that I want to hear. I, if I were going to give you a list, I, I think anyone, obviously, anyone that has my daughters in it, that was always a great one. The The first one I ever did with Bryn, though, she was four years old, and she was so well-spoken. I was, and actually, I thought that she and I were just going to kind of do something together. I, I really didn't have the intention for that to be a show, and it, it ended up working out perfectly. I loved it. Um the one with my dad is a very important one and, and one that I even point people back to that, that conversation that he and I had, um, is a neat one. It is, it is very much the way dad and I talk to each other, which is a, a, a neat thing because you get a, a little glimpse at, at who we are, but, uh, how forthright my dad was in, in his feelings. Um, and a lot of things that he thought around, uh, Christmas. I, I just, it was, it was, he, he's, he's usually, he usually airs on being diplomatic. It was the first time that I think that he ever kind of went the other way. I, that was the first time that I thought, you know what? He might, he might retire soon. Of course it took four more years, but he, he did. He did. Um, the, I'll tell you another one. The one I, I brag all the time about the one life goes on. I think that one is the one that's one of my favorite, uh, stories, one of my favorite lessons. But what's amazing about that 
that podcast is you don't know the stories around it. And if you knew what was going on at the time, um, I think you would appreciate it more. I, um, I, I will tell you, I, I don't want to get too much into it because I, I haven't asked for permission to, d- to do a lot of this. But um, at that time, someone who had been very close to my wife, my now wife, we weren't married then, um, had, had died um, from a drug overdose. And watching how the community dealt with that and the denial they were going through and what exactly they were looking for, I, I never got. And I sat down in, in this studio, although this very studio was located in West Columbia, but I, I was in this building. And um, I remember I sat for about an hour before I even started talking uh, with that show and uh, I meant every word of it and I I it wasn't it wasn't so much me speaking I think as it, as it was my wife and it is, it is one of my favorite shows that, that that I've ever done the one with the two widows the two young ladies I call them the two widows I'm just, uh, the two young ladies that were on that uh, became widows at an early age that one probably put us on the map. I'll be honest with you. That that one got shared around the country so fast. And we went from having, you know, a, a few listeners here or there, a few hundred. We'd get up towards 500. And then that, that thing just blew us into the thousands. And I think that that brought a lot of people on. And I, I've, always, I've always appreciated that one. Over the past couple of years, the ones with Scott Johnson, the one with Zuby, the one with Chad Prather, Target Tory, some of the ones we've done lately have been some of my favorite ones that I've done. Any of the times I've done one with Don, uh, that's always been fun for me too because there's a. It's always so funny. There's a seriousness that's there. There's a very, um, there's a very authentic, authentic um, rapport between the two of us that for some reason works when we're talking and other people we know other people are listening because then it just turns into fart jokes and a bunch of other stuff. And it, it's it's always so funny how um, I wouldn't say that the conversations I've had with Don are unlike our normal conversations, but it is, it is kind of interesting. And I've, I've, I've always appreciated uh, how transparent he's been about his music. And over the years, us being able to, um, to utilize his music on the show and, and help promote it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I could go on and on. Um, I noticed there was a show I did with not only my ex-wife, but my ex-girlfriend. I, I will say the one with, with Adrian, the one with my ex-wife was a good one. I don't know that any of them, though, um, really are as much fun for me as the first one I ever did with Maria, who is now my wife. And, and I, I want to tell you something about that story. I don't know that she knows this, uh, but I asked her to do the show, and so I, I poured a big drink of something. I was living in an apartment, and the studio at the time was my like dining area of this apartment. And uh it was really cool, really cool bachelor pad, cool setup. Um and I, I remember sitting in there listening and, and, and talking with her. And it was it was it was so fun and, and it was such a such a neat memorable thing to do. Um and we both got kind of drunk doing the show. And the sh- the show was over. I told her good night and then I I was just so revved up from talking to her that I sat up and edited that show and did the whole show. Now, 
I I don't historically edit shows. If I've got to go back and put something in, or I'll do breaks for the music. Yeah, little stuff. Let me tell you something. It takes me ten minutes to do it, right? But for that show, I went back and I caught that beginning where we were talking before the show started. And I, I wove it in there the best I could. And, and I went back and I listened to that show, I think, three times over. Um, and uh, I, think I, I think I finally put, uh, put down whatever I was um, drinking at about 5 in the morning and realized I was calling in sick to work the next day. Um. This show's been my life. I mean, it really has. I don't want to say the show itself has been what I live for, but no, the show's been a, a window into into who I I am, and and there's stories behind all all the shows. Uh, some of them you may be able to guess, and some of them you'd probably never know. But I, I will let you know that I've always been very open and very honest with you, and and I appreciate you being there. The the camaraderie that I've made, um or the camaraderie that exists between us and the friendships that I've made over the past five years uh, through folks that have helped this show not just be um, uh, just a, your normal podcast, but something that that breathes, that that has an existence outside what, what it's been and what you see uh, on Spotify or on iTunes. It, 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 that's been something that's been very special for me. But there's there's nothing more important than the number one thing that I've gotten from this show, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, I want to spend a little time, and, and I I've struggled now for uh, a couple of weeks over how I wanted to do this show. The show has been something that has been, um, I've been hell bent on this being a positive show. I'll take you back to the months before I ever recorded the first episode. I, I was living, I'd, I'd been divorced for about a year. I was living with a buddy of mine out on the lake in Chapin. And um, I had this idea, this idea that I wanted to get into podcasting. And, I, and I've dabbled with it before and done a couple of other things. But I, I never really found the voice that I wanted. Um. Until one day, I sat and I looked at my life and I said, why are you so unhappy? And there were a lot of things that I could point to and there were a lot of things that I could blame. But what I looked at is like, it was the, was the simple fact that I had allowed my world to get too small. And I made the things that were the closest around me so much more important than other things were out there. Now, we all go through different seasons in life. This is another thing that I've learned from my wife, that, that you do have seasons and things change. But at that time, what I knew, I was miserable because my life and the circle that surrounded it was so tight, and really it was probably just misplaced. I wasn't really where I wanted to be. To be honest... It may surprise you to hear me say this. It doesn't surprise my wife. But the 13 years I was married the first time, I wasn't where I needed to be either. It's about 15 years of being in the wrong place. Now, I could have sat there and sulked or said that I'm 
uh, it's too late to change my life or whatever, but but I, I decided I was going to, and I made some big changes in my life that next month, and one of them was starting the show. I actually had Scott Kelly pegged for about a year before I did this show, and it was, I was so determined to have him as the guest that I put off doing the show for next month to try to schedule him. I, I, I actually had another project that actually had video uh, involved with it, and I now realize that that would have been the dumbest thing because I wouldn't have gotten past four episodes. There's no way I would have kept up with what that original idea was. But um, I'm glad that I got a hold of him, and, and, and I loved it, and it was, uh, it was great to catch up with him. The audio, if you go back down this this you know as i'm sitting here strolling down amnesia lane with you guys if you, if you go back and listen to that episode the levels are awful he's in a car coming back from atlanta during a storm it was it was terrible but the conversation was exactly what i needed so that i could sit down that night and i'd say this isn't perfect but it's it's what i it's what i need and over the next uh 5 years it's developed you've walked with me through changing jobs through unemployment uh, relationships, friendships, ideas, successes, failures. You, you've, you've walked through all that with me. And I've, I've been so appreciative of that. And it's because of that I feel like I owe you an explanation. And I want to give it to you. And I want to be, I want to be pretty transparent. I, I'm not, I'm not going to be as transparent as I want to be um, because I don't think I should be. But let me tell you uh, what's going on. I'm very upset with the way we're living these days. Um, I've talked about this before. I've talked about um, how, you know, one of the reasons why I bring this show on is it is a, it is a big outlet for me. And it gives me the opportunity uh, to really preach about some things um, in, a, in a way of, of using my experience but also using the experience of others. And, and I've always appreciated that. Um, everybody's so angry right now. And people get mad because I'm not as angry, I think, sometimes. And I, I want to I do something real quick. And I want to talk about a part of me that I never talk about. And, and I need you to hear. The, this is the reason why um, I think you need to hear me when I talk to those of you that are so angry today. Um, there was a point in my life where I went and did some anger management therapy because um, because I could get pretty bad with stuff. Uh, my temper could get the worst of me. I didn't make good decisions. That's all you need to know about that. Um, it was one of the most important things that I did, and it taught me a lot. Oh, I still lose my cool today. Don't get me wrong. But there's 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 something in the moment of knowing when to stop and when to keep going, and and this world has lost that ability. Now, I can't speak for the world. This this country's lost that ability, and we've done it, and we do it because we think we're righteous in it. And I want to tell you something about that. That was the first thing the therapist told me. This is anger management one hundred and one, people. So just hear me out for a second. When you get so angry, but you let yourself lose control because your self-righteousness shuts off your ability to stop it, you're probably wrong. 
unless you're in the middle of a war, if if you're sword fighting with somebody, if you're battling a dragon and you need to lose all your cool because reason and accountability don't come anywhere close anymore, we just need to survive. Okay, go right ahead. But when you're having a debate over who should be the next presidential candidate, you, you need you need to back it down about 28 notches. And this is a guy that 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 it took him a little while to figure out how to do it, but I knew from that first meeting it had to be done. We're in a world where we just don't let that happen anymore. A couple of years ago, we we talked about lack of, of decency amongst each other. Why are people not as decent anymore? Oh, because of Trump. And we and we want to blame everything over Trump. And, and let me tell you something. I have to I, I I do not I do not really love our president. Uh I think he should have had his somebody should have taken his phone from the day he walked in the office. Um, I'm not surprised we have a reality TV show host as our president because that's who we are as people nowadays. We love celebrities. We make our politicians celebrities. Might as well have the day that Jesse Ventura and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger became governors. I knew anybody in the world could. So when people said, do you think Donald Trump's got a chance? Yeah. Why not? Because he's what he's a he's a failed businessman and he's on TV. Being on TV is probably giving him a better shot. And as soon as he became elected president, people are dogging him, and I get it. I understand why they're dogging him. Some of it's you know it's warranted, but we blame everything on him. And we the thing that bothered me though was that when we started blaming our decency on him, well, why be decent? Because the president's not. I don't care who's not decent. That doesn't mean you're not. I don't care who somebody else is and what they're doing. That doesn't mean you stop being decent. See, when I went to anger management class, I learned to cool down and be decent. And what happened? Oh, the whole world got decent and got less angry with me. Hell no, that's not what happened. The exact opposite happened because what I found, what I found is whenever I showed that moment that I wanted to cool down, the world sees that as a weakness. I've also learned this over the course of doing this show, that there's there's another way that the world will look at you in weakness, and that's if you say you don't know something. If you don't have a strong opinion immediately. I did a show, I did a show about um, uh, LGBTQ rights. Uh, my friend Will is a... Um, the gay uh, gay guy here in Columbia, South Carolina. It's a it's a hard place to grow up, gay. All right, and he was on the show. It's a great episode. One of my favorites. I, I really enjoyed it. And and in that episode, we talked a little bit about about um, Caitlyn Jenner and how you know I knew about the L's and the G's and the B's, and I, and I thought I knew what the T was until it was in my face, and suddenly I'm like, oh okay, I don't know what this is. And somebody wanted to ram that down my throat. Oh look at you, you're just so insensitive. I'm like no, you're you're insensitive. Shut up. I, give me a minute to digest this and process it. I don't have to know everything about every situation in the world, and I guarantee you that you don't. And I I, I talked about that on that show. 
And I've noticed that that's the way the world is. Suddenly, if you don't have an instantaneous response and, and one that goes along with the mob that's asking it of you, then suddenly you are chastised, which brings us to where we are today. Here, here's how here's how it went down. I'd been getting um, stronger and stronger emails. Yes, the guy that's doing a show about positivity was getting stronger and stronger emails. I had some folks find me on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, it's not that hard. I give up my Twitter and my Facebook on here. And the and the conversations were getting a little worse. Um, somebody who even knows me in real life, a couple of folks from time to time had said something to me. And and it's let me explain to you what happened. It, it became apparent to me this was going to be a problem when I woke up one day. I told Maria this is a couple of weeks ago. My Twitter had been um, disabled. I'm like, okay. When I got to the bottom of it, it was because of some um, replies and some things that I had liked on my man Zuby's page. Now you remember Zuby? Zuby was on our show. Uh, first, before he was on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, two weeks before. And I like to remind Mr. Joe Rogan of that all the time whenever I can, because I'm sure he's listening. Zuby is a black rapper from uh, the UK who writes uh, a bunch of uh, wellness books. He produces his own music. He's kind of become his own figure and really taken off since being on my show last year. I mean, the numbers probably soared after Rogan's, but I, I think it's probably me. That's where I like to start. Zuby being uh, a black guy that doesn't get along with what a lot of the meandering mob thinks a, a black guy should be today uh, catches a lot of flack. And uh, because I have, I don't have a friendship with him, but because I've had some kind of connection with him, uh, apparently, a lot of people thought that that wasn't good, so they re reported a bunch of my tweets. I I'm not the only one. I'm sure of it. I haven't reached out to Zuby and asked him, uh, but that that was what pointed it out to me. It's like, okay, and, and by the way, the things that I was posting uh, were things about, I think one of them was about um, one of his books that he wrote. Uh, one of them was I was uh, replying back with one of my daughters dancing. Um, so it was obviously uh, people that, followed the show that were trying just to give me some some grief and they they shut down my my twitter for like a day and it was back up and it, it wasn't that big of a deal but it was a huge annoyance but it wasn't the fact that it was annoying that bothered me what bothered me was the fact that they were able to do it oh and the episode with chad prather oh my god you would have thought that he came on here I don't know. I don't know. Chad Prather comes from uh, the Blaze TV network is a conservative leaning network. We won't even call it leaning. It's a conservative network. Sure. I loved having him on. I've had plenty of people from every side on. He's a guy that I reached out to one day and just kind of got into a conversation with on Twitter. And I'm like, hey, uh, popular guy, will you be on my show? I'd like to ask you questions. He, like, he gave me his cell phone number. I called him. We had a conversation. It was great. It was nice. Both gave our ideas about where we are in the world. And we talked about comedy and how we need to be able to laugh a little bit more. We got to get over ourselves. And then that that conversation apparently did not fit this mob. 
And I was okay with it, and I didn't care. And as usual, I looked at things the way that my dad has kind of always taught me. And then through something that I've learned in in working in the medical uh, arena over the past 20 years, especially when it comes to dealing with patients and their families, and it is this. Don't freak out. It's probably not as bad as you think. Just give it a day or two. I, I, I don't tell people that with with like their their care <laughs> but when when someone is upset about something unless it's something that's awful and I can diagnose it immediately let's just give it a little bit of time and 95% of the time it's not as big of a deal as we think and when we have cooler heads and it doesn't take long to get there we make better decisions this by the way is where Chad's 48 hour rule comes from. If for some reason you do not know what this is, whenever something breaks in the media, wherever something happens in your life, is if it's something that's emotionally charging, wait 48 hours before you go post it on social media because you may not have all the information or you may just be a little bit erratic and you don't want to look like an idiot. Obviously no one's following that anymore. So I've had some people that have threatened to try to get this show canceled and to cause more problems than just my Twitter being hacked out or whatever. All right. No big deal. Usually that stuff goes away. And I really don't care because there's no reason for someone to do it. But we live in a world... Now, where, like I said before, reason and accountability don't really show up in court, that court of public opinion. You got to know something. This show, I'm not a martyr here, okay, but I I need you to understand why, because I know I'm going to get some messages from some of my friends, because I've really talked about this with my dad and, and, and my wife. Um. I I pay to do this show every week. I mean this this money comes out of my pocket. Yeah, we've had sponsorships from time to time and stuff like that. But but what I mean is I I, I pay to have this. I I spend time tracking down people for interviews. I spend time away from my my kids to come out to the studio and do this. And I love it. I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking it. And I love it. I I do. But I, I, it is a, it is a cost, whether it is an economic cost or, or, or time or whatever. It, there, there's a cost that goes into this. This is not my full-time job. I'm not Joe Rogan. I can't just say, well, forget it. I'm going to keep talking. Th- this is not my full-time job. But I had an experience a few years ago where someone took something personal and made it an issue in my full-time job. Now, it ended up, they got in trouble for it. But the world we live in today is even worse. I have responsibilities at work. I've got 11 folks that I care for, that I'm watching after, and I have their reputations. The other thing that that I worry about is these people threatened the folks that have been on the show's before and that guilt by association is junk especially when you're doing a show where you want people to come on and share positive stories but you see they didn't like it when it was a few folks from another side of the aisle that they didn't like 
I guess they missed the episode with with Will. Or the other ones I've done with folks that talk about anything on that that other side of the aisle from them, or or the other eighty percent that has nothing to do with politics, but maybe social and not the social way that they wanted it. So I had to make a choice: either just go ahead and keep going through. Or make the tougher choice that maybe this isn't the climate that wants this show right now. I think that's what upsets me the most. I had a friend on Twitter a few weeks ago. We got into a little discussion. I didn't like something that somebody said. He said something back about it. I'm like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I'm not down with it. I think it's this cancel culture stuff is bullcrap, and I think it's childish. And he said on there, well, he actually thinks that cancel culture is a very good thing because it's a form of protest. He he very quickly took that post down, but I saw it. Well, here you go. If you're listening, that's where this was headed. I'm not really being canceled here. Keep in mind, I'm bowing out of this, but... I've had a couple of shots across the bow, and I'm not I'm not going to affect anybody at my work. I do have major responsibilities there uh, with my, my my friends and with my children. I don't want them dealing with crap at school, and I see how you people are and how you talk to your kids, so I'm not going to do this. So, Chad, what was this about? Well, I don't want to get too much into it, but I will tell you this. It had to do with race relations, obviously. But the interesting thing about this is the three people that I have talked to vehemently about, the three people that have led this charge, all three of these women are white. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could do a whole show. (laughs) I probably could do a whole stand-up act. Um, but uh, I'm just not going to deal with it. So I'm kind of sad about that. And I'm sad for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, let me let me go back and tell you guys a couple of things. Uh, when I, I went a long time without really playing music, and the guys from the Duncan Sims and the Accused band that I'm a part of really are the ones that got me back into playing again. Um, and we're still out there. Well, we're just, we're just out there practicing. Nobody's playing anywhere right now. But... Um, I really owe so much to them, and it's been wonderful having them there. When I joined Don's band and and met the other guys, back when we had seven guys in the band, and we were going around and being nuts and playing some great music and having a great time and drinking way too much and, you know, all all that stuff, that blur of that that period we were all together. It It was wonderful. When Don split the band up last year because of a project that he wanted to do, I got it. Like, I understood but it was funny because there was an emptiness from from that that uh, voice that I had that I lost. I mean, even though I'm in another band, I'm completely different in that band than I am in Don's. I, I played two completely different roles, and it was there was something fun about being around those guys, and I knew I wasn't going to really be playing with them anymore. And that happens with anybody that breaks a band up. But for one that you really believe in and you put your heart and soul into it, it, it stinks. I'll feel something very similar, I'm sure, if something ever happens to Duncan Sims. I don't see that on the horizon. But I, um, it was very hard for me to find that outlet to it. 
And so one of the things I thought is I've, I've got to figure out what that is. And I started looking at some projects that I may have wanted to do. I watched my father as he goes from being a, a minister and, and really moving into retirement. And it's taken him a year because he's still doing stuff. But, I mean, he, he, really, he really has done a very good job. I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's had a lot of congregations, a lot of weddings and funerals people want to be a part of. He's been doing that. He's, he's not preaching. But, um, but watching him move into something where he can adapt his passion to it, spend time with his family, all, all that kind of stuff time with mom the he never felt like he really had it's it, it's wonderful in watching that but there is there is something that has to come in and it doesn't substitute what was there before but you've got to have an outlet for that i understand because of my time that i've spent with you for five years it is going to it is going to be very hard to find something that matches this but i will I'm I'm sure of it. I've got a few projects that I want to work on, but they're centered around something, and I, I want you to hear me right now. With the way that the world is and how ridiculous we're getting and how we want to be offended by everything and how we want to hijack everybody else's cause and make it our own and go somewhere else with it and do whatever we do with stuff like that. My world has gotten too big. It's time to reel it back in. You see, I've found my place in my life. Oh, I know where it is. Through all the ups and downs and the hardships and the stuff that you don't know about, and oh my God, if you do know about it, you probably only know half the story that Maria and I have been through since 2016 when we met. Um... I can tell you I, I know where my place is. And I know who needs my attention. My daughters are seeing things every day. They're hearing the words that you say. They 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 do a lot of um they they hear a lot of stuff on the news from their friends and family. As a dad, they need me. I've got some other projects that I've been dealing with. I've met a couple of folks um, that have piqued my interest in a couple of different areas that I've never had before that is really kind of pulling me towards it. Um, and I probably will be doing a project based on that. I'm, I'm not so sure that uh, podcasting is going to be out of my future. I, <laughs> we've, done, we've really done some really cool things here. The local bar company, local bar media is staying around. Um, maybe even some music projects that I've been working on in the past may, may come out through this. There, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, I, well, I'll tell you a little bit more. I, I'm working on an ebook for a couple of some stuff. I've been voiceover work. I've been getting into and dabbling in, and I want to do a little bit more with that. And I, I think this is a good opportunity while the world is insane to take a step back, to tweak a couple of things myself, to fix and trim some hedges around the house, I feel like need to be done, maybe rewire this or that and get things where I, I really need it to be for right now. But but to close that circle up, that doesn't mean to close people out, but to close that focus up a little bit. Because I think those people that are close to me now need me. 
and, and I need them. My family, our close friends, the people we love, the community that we're around, the, the, the things that really make a difference. They need me and I, I need them. So it's not a bad time. It's not a bad time to step away. I do want to leave you with a couple of things as I go. I'm getting, I, I get a lot of emails, and I, I, I've told you all the time, I, I really try my best. I, I sincerely try to um, answer every email I get, even if it's just some kind of trolley thing. I, I really do my best to do it. I've gotten a lot of, of um, emails over the past uh, couple months, just about everything that's going on, the quarantine and everything. Yeah, I just, you know, there's there's a lot of it. I I, I really don't want to say, yeah, listen to your healthcare professionals. Do, do, do what they tell you to do, okay? Um, but when we get into, you know, what can we do, how can we help, th those are the things that I'm, I'm interested in. And so I, I want you to do me a favor. Check on your neighbors. Check on the people around you. You can sit and complain about your mayors and your governors, your president, whoever you want to blame for all this some other time. Go check on your neighbors. Make sure they're okay. If you can't invite them over because of social distancing, sit out in the yard and have a drink. It's hot as hell down here in South Carolina, but it's something we can do. Make sure the people around you and in your neighborhood are okay. An instance where uh, one of our close friends, Aaron, sat and talked with somebody yesterday, the guy just seemed to be driving by on his lawnmower like Bobby Boucher, and he sat and talked with her for a bit. The guy's wife had been put into uh, an assisted living facility. He can't go and see her. His heart's just breaking every day. She spent a little bit of time with him yesterday. I I'm going to tell you, it probably did both of them good, and and neither one of them really knew it. Check on the people around you. Um, there's, there, there's help out there for people that are, are taking this really rough. If you feel this is getting to you too much, I've talked about this before on the show, call suicide prevention hotlines. You can find them. You can text them. Just, just do it. Please don't let this Please don't let this get the best of you. And if you are at home too much by yourself, find a neighbor that will sit in the driveway across the street from you and ha just have a conversation about anything. Um, I also get a lot of questions about the Black Lives Matter, uh, all the protests and the riots, and it, it's a shame where we are. I, 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 let me tell you why it's a shame. I'm, I'm only going to spend a minute on this. Um, I did hear somebody – I know someone's going to ask about this. The people that were giving me so much crap, those three ladies, um, they, uh, when it was brought up, I asked them if they listened to the show about the public house. And if you know anything about this, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they, they told me that me doing that show made me, made me racist. Or one of them did. It's just, I don't know what to do anymore. Um, I, you know, here's 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 my feelings on this, and 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 please hear me out on this. When we talk about America being the most racist country ever in the world, that is absolutely false. <laughs> that, is, that is that is egregiously false. It's not even in the top ten of today. 
Guys, we've had a black president. Oprah Winfrey came from nothing in Tennessee. Tennessee, right? She was a weather person in Tennessee. To being who she is, there's over three, what is it, 350 million millionaires that are African-American? Something like that. That that stat's probably all messed up. Look, we, we've got major problems, but we're not, if you think we're the way, go to Russia. Go to Japan. Oh, I love the Japanese, but you, you really want to go to China? I just, I'm sorry. There are places that are, on the whole, more racist than we are. The reason I don't go around fighting that fight every day, though, is because I believe that we hold ourselves to a higher standard, and I'm fine with that. We should. We should. Who cares what the other countries are doing? We should be. But when you tell me we're the most racist country, that's just that's just idiotic. So I, I just drop that. Um, I grew up though in a in, here in South Carolina, in a state uh, that is further behind on progressing in that manner, and a couple of other manners socially. Don't get me wrong; you won't hear me crap on a lot in this state. I like a lot of what we do. But we haven't always, and, and a lot of the places around here have been the best with that. I went to high school in a city. I'm not going to start dropping names or anything. People, uh, just there's no reason to do it. But I, I went to high school in a city that was very racist. Very. Um, the town next door had a had the what they called the KKK Museum. And, no, no. The red, it's called the Redneck Shop, the world's only KKK museum. Back This is the mid-90s. Mid-90s. Um, it was kind of a joke in, in a lot of ways, but uh, hey, there were people that I saw the Klan march quite a bit. Um, and I grew up with racism, and, and I'm sorry, this is going to upset some people for me to say this, but from both sides. I, like I, I, It's just the way it is. Um, I'll tell you a story. I don't know when the last time I ever I don't know that I have told this story. I think I've said it on here. Um back in the back in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, um, you, you may still see this in some film. Uh nothing would probably be made big about it, but if you ever look at like t shirts that people have on um back in the late eighties, early nineties, there used to be these shirts going around and I and I believe they started it said uh like things like it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. Um I think the guys from In Living Color really utilized that. If I'm if I'm remembering cor- correctly, it was it was is it, it it a big it was a big thing that happened. Um, and then of course somebody wanted to be funny on the other side, and there'd be stuff like oh, it's a redneck thing you wouldn't understand, and blah, blah blah. And then it was like it's a Baptist thing only true believers in Jesus understand. Like everybody took that phrase and ran with it, right? A buddy of mine made a T-shirt, and a white guy and a black guy stand together. Their arms, uh, hands uh, held up, and it simply said, it's a human thing you should understand. I bought that shirt. I bought that shirt, and I wore it to school when I moved to this town. It was in 10th grade. I was wearing this shirt the first week of school, and I got chastised like you would not believe. And I made sure every two weeks I wore that shirt. Yeah, every two weeks. I wore that shirt out. I had a teacher at the time that appreciated what I was doing. 
and knew that I was big into public speaking and that my father was a minister that they kind of took me under their wing um and and had me read a lot of stuff that that I I probably wouldn't have found Leo Cabron just a bunch of stuff that that I I wouldn't have just jumped into and I I found myself mesmerized with with a lot of what this teacher has given me and one of them though was was Dr. King and Reading Dr. King's speeches, Winston Churchill was the other one, by the way. Um, reading Dr. King's speeches were, were were profound to me, especially being a, a white guy living in a time that was much better than Dr. King's time, but but still seeing that we we obviously still have a road to go. And I've always I've always been impressed with that. There's a lot about Dr. King that I like. I've mentioned him from time to time on the show. I don't really get into it a lot. But but one of the things I loved was the way that Dr. King wrote a speech, even. Dr. King was able to establish credibility in a way at the beginning of his speeches that was phenomenal. When I've done stand-up comedy, the way he would even use self-deprecating humor when he was being introduced was something that grabbed my mind at an early age. There was a lot about him that I liked, not only just in who he was and what he stood for, but the structure and the way that he talked, and I loved it. But I was challenged by the teacher to read all of it. It was, it was, gosh, a decade or two later before I realized why this teacher did that. And it, and it came out of a conversation that we had about the Bible one day. I'm not going to get into that, but the, the point was you have to be careful. People will pick and choose. I knew it. I knew it. I called it to my wife. We were sitting on the couch. I told her, I told her, you're going to hear everybody take a quote from Dr. King, and they're going to run with it. I know you've heard it. Everybody has heard it. It's the one where Dr. King is uh, on the, the 60 Minutes interview. He used it in one of his other speeches as well. Um, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant speech. But it's the one where after the protests are started and the riots started, it's almost like people were wanting to use a justification for the riots. We all understood the protests. Everybody thought that George Floyd shouldn't have died for that. We understood it. But the protests got out of control because they were hijacked by rioters. And everybody, every athlete on TV, a lot of folks that, that I know, people on the news, everybody went and found that clip. And I knew, I knew they were going to use it. It's where he said on the 60 Minutes interview, I think we've got to see that that a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the economic plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. And that, and that, that, that statement was taken to mean, it's okay. Go go out and blow stuff up. Because you see, the riot is something you've got to understand. But the, the thing that kills me with this is that's not what Dr. King was saying. You know, it's funny. We, we like to use these things out of 
not out of context, but as if it's the only thing that said. Dr. King understood, and, and it's one of the beautiful things about him. He wanted you to get it too. Understand. We tell people all the time, I just need you to listen. No, give them stories. Share with them. Dr. King got why people wanted to riot. He understood them. He felt it. He was part of it. And he disagreed with it. Don't believe me? The very beginning of that interview, you can go and find it. They start with him at a speech. When he gets to the end of the speech, he's got one of the most emphatic points he's ever made when speaking to the public. As he walked off, he said, now what I'm saying is this. I would like for all of us to believe in nonviolence, but I'm here to say tonight that if every Negro in the United States turns against nonviolence, I'm going to stand up as a lone voice and say this is the wrong way. So why did he say that? He went on in the interview to talk about how nonviolence was actually a weapon. He didn't use those words. I'm paraphrasing here. But it was one of the strongest tools that people that were oppressed had at that time. The nonviolence, to not fall in with what people wanted them to do. See, he, he, he knew what he was doing. Dr. King did not make a difference because he gave the speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial one day. No, he, he made a difference because he went and spoke in houses, in churches, met with people in coffee shops, did whatever he could to meet with folks. It, 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 did, it did interviews with newspapers constantly. And in every instance, they were looking for the chance to show somebody out of line. Hell, not swinging a punch at somebody, just dropping a piece of paper on the floor. That man knew it. He knew how to make a difference, and he did. One of the questions I get asked a lot is, Chad, do you think you see another Martin Luther King out there? I, I do. I do. I do believe that they're out there. I do believe those people are there. I worry that... Groups are not listening to them because, I don't know, white women are shouting down their podcast. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I think Dave Chappelle is close. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. That man. I, I'm, I'm just, I just, if you, I don't, watch how he crafts a speech. I do believe they're out there. I think their challenge is finding, finding the pulpit, finding the folks that will listen to them. Everybody's so divided. There's a lot of money. Oh, my God, there's so much money being thrown around to keep people from doing something else. Our media has gone out of control. It's out of whack. It's, it's all propaganda now. I mean, it's state-run media. All of it is. It's, it's just it's ridiculous. So it's, I think it's I think it gets harder. Our, our platforms now can't decide if they're providers or platforms. The, the new age media makes it very difficult. I don't think that means they aren't there. I think they're just having a hard time. I believe they exist, and that's not just the eternal optimist Chad talking. I I mean it. I don't think King was just here to be the only one. 
I'll tell you what I worry about. I worry about other people that had the chance to pick up his mantle haven't. I think from time to time the wrong people have, and that's why that so many folks are still in uh, the place they are today. Look, we can talk about who's president all we want to, but the president really doesn't have much to do to affect your daily life. I'm sorry, folks. He, he just doesn't. No matter who the dang president is, he may give you hope, may make you feel positive, may, may, uh, whatever, but it's not, he's not affecting your daily life. It's your local leaders. And if you've got a senator or somebody in the House, state senator, that's been around, oh, I don't know, 36 years and nothing's changed in your district, but you hear that it's other things that are keeping him from doing it, yet he still lives in a nice house? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe start there. Uh, that has nothing to do with South Carolina. I, I think um, there's too many times, too, we wait for the government to come and help us. I struggled with the show where um, I, I was talking about the, the teachers and the struggle that the teachers have. Um, there was a, there was a big march here in South Carolina. The state superintendent of education said something and did something absolutely ridiculous. And there was a huge march because teachers wanted better support and they wanted more money in their schools and, and, and all the stuff that everybody is asking for. And so people still say it today. I mean, it's, it's part of this. Look at look at our our lower income schools. They're in, in in areas that can't pay enough taxes, and so there's nothing that's there's not enough money that's going to them. So we turn around and we tell the government this needs to change. And I'm looking right at you, saying, "I I get you, but do y'all see the big lesson here? If you don't, let me tell you what it is. You're in this situation because the government runs your business." Telling the government you want to get them to get more involved so that it gets better isn't really going to do it. If you're waiting on the government to come and save you, you're going to be waiting a long time. We live in an area that is, uh, it's not poor. It's it's not overly affluent uh, across the street from us in this big old neighborhood over there. People have a lot of money, but, but our neighborhood's a good one. It's a good one. I, I like it. It's uh, neat, artsy, a good mix of people. A lot of bull crap on our neighborhood page these days, but uh, it, it's great. And we all support the heck out of our school. And people look at it and they say, oh, look at that school. That elementary school's got all that money. You know what that elementary school's got? It's got a lot of folks that, that spend their time there, that dedicate a couple of hours or two to go and read to kids, that that make sure that there's enough pencils in the classrooms, that do all that other stuff that, that doesn't get done because we know the government hasn't done it right. We can't stop the curriculum they want to teach, but we can make sure that all the kids in there have what they need. That's on the community, not the government. You don't want the government making decisions for you. I don't care where you are on the abortion debate. You don't like where it is. That's the government for you. And any time that it's brought up, you don't like which direction it's going. That's the government. GovCo, one of the largest corporations ever on the face of the planet, 
They can't find a way to make money, but they can print it. Oh, I'm not going to go down that road. Don't worry. <laughs> but I could do a whole show on that. I think that's part of the things that uh, when people ask me, where are we with with um, our race relations? Because, look, it, it's not just the African-American population here. Um, when you travel out west and you see the way the Asian population is treated in some areas, uh, the Latinos down around here into the into um, Florida, the Cubans that are there, Puerto Ricans that are there, Puerto Rico in and of itself. There's a, there's a lot of places that we need to to do some things better, but it it ain't as bad as it was, and we're moving in the right direction, and I and I wholeheartedly do believe that. I believe if we li- listen to the words of Dr. King, and we listen to all the words of Dr. King, and we realize that by getting into the violence arena, it is not going to do anything but set us back, most likely. I think we're going to be okay, and I think the people that get the opportunity to stand up. I think as long as they do, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a story. I, I wasn't going to do this, but I want to tell you a story. When I did the show, for those of you that don't know, the band was playing uh, not long ago. We had a gig somewhere. We were we we came or yeah yeah we did. We had a gig somewhere else. We came back over to the Rosewood area to Foxfield, the greatest outside music venue in all of Columbia, South Carolina. Um, we went and we were having a few beers there. It's a great place. A lot of local artists and neighborhood folks go to this really cool bar and we're in there and, um, Don got approached by a guy that was one of the owners of, of a local music venue here. It's terrible, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Um, and he said that we, um, we're going to have, um, I want to get you guys to come and play. We've been wanting to have you guys back and playing again. We weren't playing there because the sound's all screwed up. It's not set up for bands, really. Uh, but the guy kept saying something, and he said, he said essentially, uh, "Don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna keep all the n words out." But he did not say <laughs> n word. Uh, it went downhill from there. If if you haven't checked it out, that the the show's called a, an order of racism from the public house. You can go and check it out. So. Um, During that, Don, not, uh, just a couple of days after I launched that show, Don wrote a post to put it on Facebook. It went viral. George Takei picked it up. A, a lot of folks said something about it. Don didn't want that. He didn't want that. That He didn't want the recognition for that. He wanted something to be done. Um, and so it became the thing that Don and I never talked about. It's something we wanted to get out there and something to be done to make things better, but we didn't want anything promoting the band. And so we, we really kind of tried to kill off a lot of that. Uh, our next gig was packed. Uh, and it was nice, and Don said a little something about it, and then we got back to dancing and having fun. Um, in, in, in the, I'm not going to tell you the name. Uh, in, that, in that time... I had a conversation with someone who is a big-time local artist in the area. He's a black guy. And he and I both come from the Appalachian Mountain area. And we both lived for a while in the same town uh, up in the upstate of South Carolina. So this this guy knows the deal. And uh, we were having a conversation, and, uh, and he said to me, listen, I appreciate all that you said, and I really appreciate what Don's done, but... I'm going to keep playing there. And I'm like, well, why? Why would you keep playing there? Well, because they they pay really well. And listen, I, I'm going to hear this wherever I go anywhere. 
He said, we'll just agree to disagree. I told him, no. No, we'll disagree on every point of this. And here's how he left it. I told him, it's like, you can't just sit there and fight the big fights. You got to fight them when they're in front of you. You got to go for the small ones. You can't expect to hit home runs every time. You got to hit the base hits or you're never going to get there. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. It's not just the one speech. It's the hundreds of other moments that he had. This guy didn't do it. He said he appreciated the sentiment. He, he got where I was coming from. He understood, but he went on. It's interesting. I We're not Facebook friends, but I have more than once checked his Facebook page to see what he's had to say on any of the stuff that's going on. He hadn't really said anything. Not that I would have called him out. I do believe he's a good guy. I just think he was conflicted with that. I get it. It's tough. It's complicated. And that's that's the last part of all this. And that's what I want to leave you with the most. Whether it's whether it's the protests that are going on, which are different than the riots and all that crap that's happening, we're taking over blocks of cities, tearing down statues, all that all that kind of stuff. Fine. Pick pick whatever you want to be mad about and go be mad about it today. But but I'm gonna tell you that you're you're gonna keep getting the same thing that you, you've gotten. Going and getting mad and Tearing down stuff, breaking windows. You think this is the first time that's been tried? I remember uh, probably about a month ago, in the in the heat of all of the protest, there was a there was a clip that I saw. I bet if I went back on my Twitter page, it'd still be on there. I'm sure I retweeted it. There's two black guys standing. One one was probably much older than me. One was probably around my age, and then there was a young boy that was 16. And the and the guy in the middle, the, the, the middle age of, of, of the three, was obviously in a heated conversation with the other guy. He was mad. He's like, I know you're mad, but you can't keep de- doing this. And he grabbed the little kid. The, the little kid the kid was like extremely tall. But he grabbed him by the shirt and said, this is what you've got to do. You've got to find a better way than this because we keep doing this and it's not doing anything. That's a statement for all of us. See, let me tell you what I've gotten the most out of doing this show is I've heard all of your stories. Post-show, pre-show, during the show, I've followed up with you. I've done a couple of follow-ups here or there on this, but I love it because it's all mine. And I've watched all of you from different walks of life, different races, different backgrounds, different countries come to this show and share what you want to share with the world, something that's positive, something that's uplifting, something that's interesting, something that is captivating, but really, really what it's been is everybody's trying to find a different way. Whether it's been about music or art, social issues, religion, business I haven't had one person on this show that sounds just like somebody else. Ever. When it comes to the protest, when it comes to where we are politically in this world, where it comes to where we are and how we treat each other with decency or that we don't, where it comes to the fact that we can't take a joke anymore, that we can't laugh at the same things anymore, or or we figure out, or we forget 
how to be just decent with each other. That's where we lose our way. I'm not the same guy I was 20 years ago, but I'm related to him. I hope you're not either. As we move forward, we're going to keep some things and we're going to lose some things. Some of that's easy to agree on. It wasn't hard with George Floyd. It wasn't hard. Everybody in the world, everybody that I even, I, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, there are David Dukes of the world, probably over there tweeting something, but all the, the other 99% of us looked right at that and said, uh-uh, those cops, those cops, they need to go to jail. They need to be tried for murder. Uh, it's not good. And we were all in agreement of it until we were told we weren't supposed to be. Until we told that we really weren't. Until people told us what the other one was saying, like some ridiculous game of telephone that didn't exist. And we allowed those people that want to hijack your protest, that want to hijack your business, that want to hijack your, your social event. Th th those, those kinds of predators that want to come in and tell you what the other side is saying to keep us apart. They came in and, as they always do, did a brilliant job. We find ourselves where we are today. And where are we? We're one less podcast on the internet. <laughs> a, a, a blink in the stitch of time. Nothing that anyone's really going to miss. I understand that. But I also know I'm not the only person out there like that. I'll have some project one day. If you want to keep up, I'm keeping the email there. I'll keep these shows up probably for another month, and they'll all come down. So, so take them, enjoy them, grab what you can. Spend all the time that you need to here at the bar. I'll leave the keys. You just lock up when you go. I don't want to end on anything negative. I want you to understand that I do feel hopeful for this world. Part of that is because I don't know any other way to feel and I don't want to learn another way. I'm not trying to be naive. I just want to be hopeful. I'm going to miss you very much. You see, over the past five years of my life, the people that have been there the most the longest, the most consistent has been you. We've been able to share amazing stories, funny, sad, touching, some that we can build off of, some that make absolutely no sense. But we've had a good time. If you didn't know it, I begin every every show uh, by saying uh, 
For all the places you could be, you've decided to spend some time with us today. And that that is a tribute to my father. That's how he opens up every uh, every time he preaches a sermon. It's something that he says. And I've always found there's a lot of comfort in that. My dad has a benediction that he wrote in seminary that I love. It's very simple. May God love you as he always has. And may God use you up completely day by day for a real ministry in his world. I don't know if you're religious or not. I don't really care. But I want you to know that what my dad is saying there is to realize that he hopes that that peace that eludes so many of us, you you find it. And I hope that you continue to let your creator, your being, the peace, the force, whatever holds you together, continue to use you for good. Sad that my dad retired. I think more people need to hear that. You know, I've always wondered how dad felt when he gave his final sermons in churches. You know, you you know you're going to go somewhere else. There's more work to do, but... When you leave, aren't you just kind of wrapping things up? Doesn't have to be sad, right? It can be hopeful. Yeah. I guess I kind of feel that way. It has been a wonderful five years with you. I'm going to take the friends that I've made and the lessons that I've learned. I'm going to take them to that little circle for a while. When I'm done... I hope to be back in some way, shape, or form. The local bar media, as I said, will stick around. Check out the website whenever you get a chance every now and then. I'm sure we'll be doing something completely different. We'll keep up the Facebook page and the and the Twitter, Twitter page, and I believe we have an Instagram. I don't know. There's a lot of that stuff that I'm going to get into. And I'm going to continue to try to find a way to bring positive messages to people. But i got to step back for a minute. I can't have the mob come for what's important to me, my job, the people that I care about at my job, the folks that I'm responsible for, and my family, and my friends, and the people on this show. I just can't do it. So, I guess this is goodbye. Thank you for all of your time for your energy, for your emails, for your passion, for your listening, for your friendship, and most of all, for your stories. I can tell you with from being in the seat that I'm in and seeing the way the information is exchanged that it has meant a lot to a lot of people. It's not me. These are your stories. And they've made a difference in so many people's lives. Don't take that for granted. Go out and keep using it day by day for the real ministry that this world needs. Take care.